Play analysis, Devin Nash be on the mic, so you know it's hella lit. Better plug your headphones in on Apple Podcasts, and we up on Spotify. Ooh, on Anchor too, no parachute, we so fly. We talking sports and music, what's the newest in that culture? Better stream, yeah, you better tune in. It ain't gonna cost ya. We talking sports and music, what's the newest? Got exclusives, yeah, we do this play by play. Follow the page, eh? If you don't know, don't worry about it. What's going on, everybody? You know, play-by-play analysis podcast. It's your boy, Devin Nash, BSKA play-by-play. If you know, you know. If you don't know, don't worry about it. We got two new champions in the world of college basketball. And that's where we're going to start the show off. And, you know, we're going to be gentlemen. Because, you know, they say that there's not a whole lot of gentlemen out there anymore. We're going to be gentlemen... We're going to go ladies first. We're going to talk about the women's college basketball championship, uh, Final Four, that went down on Sunday night first. And obviously, you know, um, Don Staley, South Carolina, Gamecocks went up against, um, you know, Gino Ariema and the UConn Huskies, who up to Sunday night had been 11-0. and in their 11 previous championship runs. Not anymore. <laughs> you know, so... Gino with his first ever loss in a championship game. UConn with their first ever loss for the women's, at least, in the championship game. Actually, the men have never lost either, but that's not important. It wasn't just that they lost. It was how they lost. But I'm going to... Leave that up to my two guests to talk about. We got my man Xavier in the house. What's going on, bro? As always, it's a pleasure to be here, bro. Definitely. And Lawrence, it's been a minute. How you doing, bro? Good, good. Glad to be back. Glad to be back. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, two of the biggest basketball heads I know, so obviously I had to bring them on here to talk about this. And gentlemen, I got to ask, I'm going to ask you first, X. Anything? What stood out to you about Sunday night between UConn and South Carolina? Like, anything in particular that stood out to you when you were watching the game? So, UConn has had this vantage. Hold on, we can't hear you. Part of the last 30 years. They have been... What about now? Yeah, go ahead and say that again. So, starting start over. So, for the better part of the last 30 years, UConn has had this vaunted aura about themselves. Starting with head coach Gino Oriam. They have been the standard of women's college basketball. We're going to talk about this person a little later on in the show, more than likely. But the standard that UConn women's basketball has been held at is very similar to that of one of a very mythical, legendary WWE, WWF figure that we all grew up watching if you watch wrestling. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about The Undertaker and the aura that came with the character of The Undertaker and how legendary and how vaunted and revered The Undertaker is, was, and will always be. That was UConn's basketball for so long. 
But in 2014 at WrestleMania, something happened to The Undertaker that we didn't think we'd ever see. He lost at WrestleMania for the very first time in his career. He had been undefeated up until that point, going 21-0. and 0. Well, Brock Lesnar put the 21-1 and 1 into that streak. And Dawn Staley pretty much just put the same type of emphasis on what she just did to Gino Oriema and the UConn women's basketball program. Putting that one in that L column, the way that Brock Lesnar put that one in the L column of The Undertaker at WrestleMania. That's the comparison that I put this thing up against, honestly. Because they won in very similar fashion. I watched that match in 2014 at WrestleMania. And it was very clear from jump, Undertaker was not going to win that match. And even though pro wrestling is scripted, I feel that it is very fitting to make this comparison the way that I'm making it right now. Because for however you felt about UConn women's basketball, and however you felt about Gino Oriema, whether you felt that he was arrogant and he was just too boastful, or whether you just felt, hell, hey, these are the champs, they are the standard. He has a right to feel any way about this that he wants to. There is a new sheriff in town now. Her name is Don Staley. It's her world and everybody else is literally just living in it. Because we've seen UConn use, lose a few college basketball games in the past few years. But they never were at the magnitude that this one came in. They never looked ready for what South Carolina was coming at them with. Very similar like to that night in 2014 in New Orleans at WrestleMania 30. The Undertaker never looked ready for what Brock Lesnar was coming at him with. That's very similar to what happened here. So a huge shout out to uh, Don Staley in South Carolina and that women's program. As y'all know, I've been following him very deeply since 2015. Uh, my Savannah State Tigers were a victim of theirs in 2015 in the NCAA Women's Tournament. But uh, nothing but love and respect for Don Staley and to Gino Oriema. Much respect to him as well, even though I've had my differences with how he goes about promoting the success of the program and being so boastful and arrogant about things. Results are yeah. results. It's, it's been a nice run, <laughs> but it's over now. <laughs> yeah, you know, like... I was thinking about it before I, before I get to Lawrence. I'm gonna chime in real quick. Um, yeah, you mentioned WrestleMania and Undertaker, and you know, obviously, we're gonna get into Undertaker later. But like you said, it wasn't just that he lost his first match at WrestleMania; it was how he was physically dominated in that match. You know, and even when he did kind of make things interesting. And would, you know, pull his punches. And he had a couple tombstones in that. Like, a lot of people thought he was going to win because of how many finishers he put on Lesnar. It just still wasn't enough for the dominance that was Brock Lesnar at the time. And kind of still is the way that he's had this run lately. And the same can be said about UConn. I don't know. Like you said, they haven't had a ton of losses over the last 37 years, really, of Geno's run there. But they've had quite a few, like, it's kind of funny. His Final Four record is very, like, hideous. If you if, you, if y'all ever look it up, like, he's lost a lot. Even though they've been to 14 consecutive Final Fours, he's lost a bunch of them. <laughs> so, like, the most notable one was in 2017 
when Mississippi State hit that buzzer beater um, to stun them and then end up losing to South Carolina that year. In the losses, though, it was never like UConn was just too little. or like They were never physically outmatched the way that they were on Sunday night. I've never seen on... The women's side, I mean, we've talked about like, oh, you know, the, the top of the top at women's basketball is just clearly like there's a, there are haves and have nots in, in women's college basketball, clearly. But the way that they were just physically dominated from the very, like, it was like, it reminds me even last year of Baylor against Gonzaga for the men's side. The way Baylor just came out and just was putting it on them boys and like they couldn't even really catch their breath. Until it was too little too late. The same thing with UConn. Like, UConn, like, I mean, they punched them in the mouth early in the first quarter. It was something like, what, 17 to 2, 20 to 4. You know, like, they were just killing these girls. And then, you know, second quarter, they kind of adjusted a little bit, made it interesting. But then, clearly, I mean, they couldn't get a rebound to save their lives. Aaliyah Boston is a beast. <laughs> like, she is a beast. There's a reason that she won every award imaginable. You know, went college player of the year, defensive player of the year. Um, I'm assuming she's going to be first team All-American, first team All-SEC. I'm assuming she got all that already. Like, then their guards, like Paige Beckers, was essentially by herself because there is no reason that Kristen Williams, who is a senior, should ever score zero buckets in a national championship game as a senior. That's just unacceptable. Well, she scored one bucket. She scored. She had two points. That's just unacceptable to me. But Law, what was your thoughts on the game itself when you were, you know, watching it and kind of seeing how it played out? Well, for myself, it's actually a uh, it's a good game, and uh, unlike Xavier, I don't believe it's this is it for UConn. Uh, I believe that South Carolina is coming up. However, I can't say that like Dawn has. Completely taking the the, the the torch away from Gino. This is only her second title, and it's her first title since seventeen. Right. So I think from seventeen to twenty-two, there have been some people that knock her off. When Gino had got started, there wasn't no knocking Gino off. And I feel like, granted, I'm not making excuses. South Carolina went out there; they did what needed to be done. They won the game, Put like like uh, period. However. Given that Aussie Fudd, who is arguably the second best scorer or third, depending on how you view Crystal Williams. From Washington, D.C. He got sick literally the day before the game. And to keep her out of shoot around, that clearly affected her. Uh, also, like Dan had just said, Crystal Williams not scoring a bucket. I feel like if, that could have been anybody. That could have been a Candace Parker, Tennessee team. That could have been Diane Taurasi, you call That could have been... Sue Bird at UConn. If your um, role players can step up and make shots for you, and it's even only have to focus in on you, that being Paige, it's going to make their job a lot easier. So Paige is out there, even not like not even at a hundred percent. Like Paige is only she coming back from her foot injury in late November. She, I heard a report before the game that she was only at about seventy-five percent at the highest. And she would got them that far that um, overtime against North Carolina State, not just enough bucket and all the other countless plays that she's done. But I mean, her team wasn't there for her. Uh, she left Brooks, her ankle, 
and then re-aggravated it against South Carolina. So I felt like the balls bounced South Carolina's way in all aspects. They were more dominant from the tip. They weren't as hindered because Don has a deeper bench. I mean, Gina only goes about six deep. And so she had more bodies that she could throw at her. And her guards came to play. Uh, Destiny Henderson, like, doubled her tournament average in the biggest game, which is what you asked for. Right. But I don't think that UConn is done. Um, like I said, Ozzy's a freshman. Like, next year would be just another year under her belt. And he has another, like, great recruiting class. I believe that college sports are one in recruiting. As long as you have, like, good recruit uh, recruiters and you have – like what you know has a good uh, program, a strong foundation, you'll always be able to get the top recruits. And like we just said, basket, uh, women's college basketball, that is, isn't necessarily uh, as a wild card as the men's side. Mm-hmm. If you can maintain your program and, you know, get the same people, your coach doesn't retire or leave, you're pretty much being contention. And really for that matter, be able to come back from any game. I remember a game earlier in the season, North Carolina State erased a 25-point lead at home. And that's because their players trust the system that their coach has prepared them for day in and day out. So I do feel like Dawn is literally right there with Gino. However, I do feel like it's still levels to it. And it's just kind of like, if everybody was over on UConn, would it have been the same outcome? Because that run that you speak of, just like South Carolina looked completely dominant against UConn to start the game, in that run, UConn looked completely dominant over South Carolina. Like, they, their girls look too slow. They look slow to the ball on loose balls. And UConn's guards and hybrid forwards were just outrunning them. But pressure legs prevailed. Yeah. It's kind of like when, Stewie, when Brianna Stewart was there and they won four consecutive championships or whatever it was. You know, they them guards back then, it was uber athleticism. That's what it was to me. It wasn't so much like, I mean, the physical dominance was there, but like the just, you kind of, I've never seen a team look so unathletic, which is crazy to me. Like a, a team of that stature, like they just didn't even look like they could, were prepared for the athleticism, let alone the dominance. Like, you know, like just... The way, and we talked about Destiny Henderson. I think Zaya Cook had a really good game too, especially on the defensive end. You know, guarding her and Henderson switching back and forth on page and stuff. I do. I, I too. I'm with Law. I don't think UConn is necessarily done yet because you mentioned Az Fudd. Shout out to Washington D.C. Um, she's only a freshman, so she's coming back next year. Paige, you get at least one more year with Paige Becker's next year as well. So she's going to be a junior next year. You assume either if she doesn't go back, if she doesn't go to the WNBA, she comes back for two more years. So you have her for two more years, you know. So that's the thing. But the only thing with UConn is there is an argument that maybe their run is done because because they have not won a national championship in six years now. Like 2016 was the last one they won. Then you mentioned, we mentioned South Carolina ain't going nowhere. You still have Stanford in the mix. You know, Tara Vanderveer still got a dominant program over there. Um, some of these other programs like Louisville, you know, uh, North Carolina State, I think both are going to be around for a couple of years. Like, now, obviously, South Carolina is the hunted now, you know, so it's probably going to be a little easier for Geno to kind of 
motivating coach, but I think that's the thing also. Like, how much longer do you think Gino wants to do this? Because he's been so dominant. Because, you know, it's falling off. Like, we, we mentioned in the men's side, Coach K obviously is, you know, the end-all, be-all on the men's side. Gino kind of has done it now. The only person that's really left, you know, at this point, I mean, I guess you you, you can still... He's, I'm not saying he's going to retire anytime soon, but he's been talking like this. He's been sounding like a man that's thinking about it. You know, like when you say, I don't know how many of these I have left, and this was the most trying season I've ever had. Like, you're, you're just saying stuff like this throughout the year. It's a little bit alarming for a guy that's been coaching for 37 years. <laughs> you know, so you wonder when he's going to hang it up. But I, I, do, I don't think they're done yet. Like, and I don't think he's done yet. I think they recharge, they re-up. But South Carolina definitely, like, yeah, they're not going anywhere no time soon. But And just one more yeah. note about Don Staley, too, if I may. Don Staley is now the first black coach, not just black for, the, for a woman or not even for the women's college basketball side. She is the first black coach, period, men or women, to now win multiple Division One championships. Exactly, and that's the biggest part. My thing with Don Staley that is so cool to watch is how she doesn't let all this stuff get to her head. She is as real as they come, at least from what we've seen. You know, like she's, you know, super supportive of like, you know, the other programs like around, you know, there was the stories about how she sent a piece of her net from the 2017 championship to every black woman coach in Division One. Like, every single one of them got a piece of her championship net. Like, you know, things like that. Like, she continues to, like, pay it forward. And, you know, she's very, you know, vocal about, you know, black women's as coaches. Like, just all these things that you hear. Like, I mean, all the things that we hate about G- well, that people tend to say about Gino, you don't really hear as much of that yet from Staley. I mean, I'm sure the more you go up, obviously, the more people that are going to be coming at you. But... Right now, I mean, she's kind of one of the more likable people in the game of college basketball on either side, men's or women's. Yeah, I would also like to add that to me, I would go as far. I would also like to add that she is the best dressed coach in sports. Yep. Like, period. Yep. Don't be out there dripped out every game, regardless if it's opening, opening night, if it's. Uh, game in January or if it's a championship, she be jerked out. That that Louis Vuitton jacket she had on uh, championship game. I mean, only Don uh, could pull that off, bro. Only uh, Don could pull that off. You know. And speaking of tough, I think we're gonna go ahead and move over to the men's side because I'm gonna tell you. First of all, before anything, because we told him we do this. Shout out to my boy Matt. He been he been he been rocking with Kansas from the very beginning, even when we were dragging Bill Self, talking about he's a choke artist, and 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 Matt stood ten toes and was like, "Yo, we got it this year, y'all watch, you know." And uh, yeah, Kansas did it, and you know, it they did, and you know, but even before the championship, the biggest game of the weekend happened to be one of the two Final Four matches. Obviously, Kansas beat the hell out of Villanova. We kind of expected it once Justin Moore got hurt. Well, even if he would have played the way they were playing, I don't know if they would have won anyway. But on the other side, the first time ever we get Duke in North Carolina, and of course, it was a classic. 
Unless you're a Duke fan. <laughs> but, it's, you, know, you know. So, I just got to ask y'all gentlemen. First of all, about... We're going to get to that in the championship in a second. But, to see North Carolina ruin Coach K's send-off in Cameron Indoor. And then turn around and end his career in the tournament. <sighs> Man, Carolina fans are going to live with this forever. I don't know how Duke is ever going to rebound from this one. I mean, you know, like, from a trash-talking standpoint, at least. You know, but what, what do we think of that game? You know, our, our good sis Meg, shout out to her being a superstar. She she was at the game covering it. But what did y'all, you know, what did y'all think, like, just watching the game and just the way that do you think it lived up to the hype? Do you think it exceeded expectations? What did y'all think of the games? Law, I'm going to ask you first. What did you think? Well, speaking on the North Carolina Duke game, I mean, yeah, I feel like it lived up to expectations. Um, I felt like for them, for the first time, being that they met in the dance, could the game have been better? Yeah, it could have been, it could have been a better game, but did it live up to expectations? I believe so. Um, and also, fun fact, Coach K's first loss as a, as a head coach at Duke University was to North Carolina. And his last loss was to North Carolina. His all-time record versus North Carolina was also 50 and 50. You know, so it was just kind of one of those things to where... I feel like his, he just got out He got out coached, outplayed. I mean, it's not like too much like, you know, it wasn't like North Carolina didn't have a shot in the world to beat them. No, North Carolina's been playing, and their guys just wanted it more. Um, I was disappointed in some of the Duke players, especially after the last time they met, because a lot of them had a few things to say on social media, as to say that they were ready for North Carolina this time, next time will be different. And when they met each other, they still lost the game. So I don't know if maybe different means you know, the same as some other but <laughs> I don't know. I mean, sometimes you can only talk so much before you actually get to perform, and I just don't feel like those Duke players had it in them, or as we would say, are him, and I feel like this could be the end of the Duke era, like we were talking about the end of the UConn era, because I don't believe in John Sire as a coach, and no, uh, Nolan Smith just left the program to go to Louisville, so I'm interested to see if any of the other top recruits, as he was the lead recruiter, decommit. If that happens, you, they might as well leave the ACC and go to maybe like the Mountain West or something like that. <laughs> X as the resident Duke fan in the chat. I gotta ask you your thoughts on you know the Final Four matchup between Duke and that team down the road. Tobacco Road in North Carolina. The game did live up to expectations. It was a spectacular game. The only thing that could have been different on my end is Duke could have actually won the game. And that helps. A shout out to Hubert Davis for what he accomplished in his first year at the helm as the head coach at the University of North Carolina. But at the end of the day, Coach K can't go out and shoot the free throws for the players sure on his team. Can. That kept missing free throw after free throw after free throw. And Lawrence knows that I have this saying, Dev, you know it too. 
shut up and play. Mm-hmm. But I didn't like the players coming out on social media talking all this trash, saying oh, we'll be ready this time. This time it'll be different or whatever. No, shut up and play. Right. Just go out there and play. Right, and you, and especially after a loss, like you don't talk shit after you lose. <laughs> it's like. Like that don't even make. I, I I never understand. Well, I I understand it a little bit, but at the same time, it doesn't mean it makes sense to me. Like <laughs> the, the whole thing. But yeah, it, it just I was. And remember, I, we were talking about this, like in the group chat. I think I mentioned it at some point where I don't know what it is in college basketball about free throws. Like dudes be getting tight when they get to the line. You know, those are supposed to be easy buckets. That's the charity case or charity stripe for a reason. That's why they nickname it that. And these dudes get up here in these big tournament games and just freeze up. And it's just like they lost by four points. If they'd have hit maybe well, especially at the end of the game, them free throws, you know, they definitely could have won. But that game really was the only game I think I've ever no, let me not say that. That was one of the few games I've watched where I genuinely did not know who was going to win in them final five or so minutes. You know, like, Zoom was wide open. And then Caleb Love just decided, you know what? I'm going to win this game. And Caleb Love, is, sometimes for North Carolina, is the most agonizing player to watch because it's like he just be throwing stuff up and just be taking shots. And it's just like, what are you doing? Which is what happened in the championship game a lot. But in the Duke game, them jumps were not were going down. So then you're like, yes! And, you know, especially that last th- bucket he made with about 23 seconds left. When he hit that, I was like, oh, no, it's a wrap. <laughs> it is a wrap. And I just, it was crazy. And then Armando Baycott is a freaking demon on the boards. How do you grab 20 rebounds? How does, how does... Paolo Bencaro and 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 um, and some of those it was the two other dudes Williams and I can't remember the other guy's name. All of them sit AJ there in the paint. AJ Griffin, there you go. For y'all to just let this man continually just abuse the boards like that, and X called it. He said if they do not stop him, if they don't box him out, it was going to come back and bite them, and it did. And unfortunately. He wasn't 100% in the championship game because of his ankle that he messed up. And I think he re-aggravated it during the game, you know, against Kansas. But they just, he was an animal on the boards. Like, I saw, I, I saw a lot of, I mean, not that he's Dennis Rodman per se, but I saw a lot of, like, Dennis Rodman comparisons just based off of the tenacity and the way he was going about it. He was, it was crazy. The average 18 rebounds a game in the NCAA tournament is ridiculous. And we say all that to say we move on now to the championship game. Kansas and North Carolina. You know, uh, North Carolina had a 15-point lead going into halftime. Which, at the time, you know, 15 points. The first half was a totally different Carolina team than what we saw in the second half. In the second half, they just the shots just weren't going down anymore. I don't know what happened. Kansas turned the switch on. I don't know if Bill Self threatened to take away their their NIL deals. I don't know what he told them at halftime. But they came out and just was completely different. The largest ever halftime deficit 
comeback in tournament history, they said, 15-point lead. So, X, your thoughts on the championship game? Well, this season did not end as glamorous as I believe that many were probably believing it was going to end. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the way that the NCAA tournament was going, it looked like it was written for it to be a storybook ending for Coach K. And just, we all were sitting here waiting for Kansas to choke at any point in the tournament. So, okay, any day now, any game now. We thought it was coming against Miami. Yes. We also thought, even some of us thought anyway, despite Villanova losing one of the best players from the previous weekend due to a torn Achilles, Villanova can still find a way to win this game because this is Kansas and this is Bill Self, and they find ways to choke. And we have seen more talented Kansas teams than the one that they had this season find ways to choke. And that's just not what happened this time. This team played with a different type of resiliency and a different type of urgency, a different type of effort, and a different type of heart. And I don't know if some of the things that may have contributed to it was the fact that that the program has been under scrutiny for quite a few years now. Uh, Bill Self... He lost his father earlier this season as well, so it's a rallying cry there as well. But a shout-out to them for being able to not give up, come back and get the job done, and show everyone what resiliency really does look like. And now we're talking about Bill Self as a multiple-time NCAA champion this, uh, this evening. Right. And these days it's hard to win multiple titles because there's so much roster turnover with this one and done era but I find that interesting because you know the Blue Bloods do it a lot more than anybody you know Kentucky obviously we think that it's just a rampant thing because Kentucky has made it really famous with Cal you know they come in there and they'll put five starters in and then all five of them will leave and then you just start over next year but honestly, I think that it, it's gone under the radar a little bit the way that Kansas and even North Carolina kind of run their programs where there is a healthy balance of a couple of guys who may or may not be one and done guys and then a ton of dudes that stay for th- two, three, even four, sometimes five years. You know, like Kansas' starting lineup, I mean, um, McCormick had been there for four years. You know, you had... I think Ajabi was, he's not a freshman. He's been there a couple years himself. You know, um, some of those guys on, on North Carolina side, Caleb Love have been there for a couple years. Baycott is a junior. You know, uh, Manic is a six-year or a fifth-year guy because he came over from Oklahoma. You know, the best players on both their teams weren't freshmen. <laughs> you know, and, and, and so I think that for people who still care about winning championships, you got to have a healthy balance. Like it can't just be like, and it's a lot more teams like that than it is Kentucky where like five starters are just out. Like even at Duke, they kind of have turned to one and done, but it hasn't really gotten them anywhere. You know, like coach K didn't get that sixth title. He hasn't won. The last one he won came 10 years ago, almost, you know, so it came in, it came in 2015. 2015, yeah, sorry, yeah, so five years ago. Seven. Damn. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, it you, you do need a healthy balance. But, Law, as the North Carolina fan, I'm going to have to ask you your side of things as you watch the game unfold on Monday night. Well, 
Um, I want to start things off by saying that uh, that's a tough game. That's a tough game. It started off on a high note. Um, unfortunately, I felt as if the North Carolina just ran out of gas. I mean, all tournament long, uh, Davis has only been going about six, seven deep, minus the Baylor game where foul trouble and really a cheap flagrant foul put North Carolina in a position where they had to play inexperienced guys. But outside of that game, he's only been going about six deep. And, I mean, we saw it with Pub Johnson when he, you know, like threw up because he was dehydrated. The rest of the team was not accustomed to playing in big games, long minutes, and really, like, the most important game of their lives. So I felt like if we could have just kept them at arm's reach throughout the second half, like in the first half, and really I wanted 45 points going into um, halftime because I knew a Kansas run was coming. I knew Reddy Martin was going to come off the bench and hit some shots. I knew eventually that pick and roll for McCormick was going to connect on one of those. It was just happening too often where really both teams were getting into the paint, getting the looks they wanted. It wasn't really a good defensive game. But that being said, man, if Bidicott doesn't get hurt on that play, North Carolina wins. Kansas really, really got lucky. They honestly lucked up. This man can. Situation because that last bucket Kansas scored to win the game, they went right at Manning down low. And all game long, uh, McCormick was not able to bang with Bangkok, he wasn't able to do it. And if Bangkok is in there and he's healthy, to say the least, they had to go somewhere else, which I felt like it would have been nothing. Jalen Wilson wasn't hitting threes all game. Obagi started to wake up in the second half, but like um, my fellow Big 12 brother knows, Matthew Craig, Obagi can really go off a way better night. And really, he's been on the downfall since the last time Kansas and Texas played. He wasn't really like that through the Big 12 tournament. He wasn't really like he was in the NCAA tournament. But then that, like, for maybe like a little five-minute stretch in the second half, he started to wake up. And North Carolina just didn't have the bodies. Once Leaky Black got his fourth foul with like 10 minutes ago, Caleb Love got hurt, twisted his ankle. So that allowed him to move more campus and really didn't have – his explosive touch, and Brady Manick and R.J. Davis were just sort of their shots. I really feel like Kansas got lucky, but none, to say the least, they won the game. They uh, they have it for right now, but next year is a new year. Right. New year, new class of people, whatever. Yeah, so I'm going to just say that, yeah, definitely, when you come back from a 15-point deficit, that was very much an earned win, you know. Bill Self, as we mentioned, he's been under scrutiny for a couple of years, you know, with all the FBI and NCAA pros floating over his head with all that stuff before it was legal to do it, you know. And somehow, you know, even though Will Wade was put out of LSU, uh, Penny Hardaway is probably going to get in some trouble in Memphis. And then we saw... Nothing really happened to Auburn. And then Sean Miller lost his job at Arizona. Self and Kansas have kind of sort of just been unscathed up to this point. And 
they've used it as motivation for the last couple of years. Because I remember a couple of years ago they were mentioning this as like, oh, you know, we can't control none of that. We just play the game back when it first started. So they finally got that second title. You know, Self has probably immortalized himself now, especially in Kansas lore. But, you know, in college basketball, he's probably, with, with Coach K out the, out the picture now, he's probably at the top now, you know. So he's kind of the resident, you know, big man on campus, no pun intended. So, you know, it's good for Kansas, good for the Big 12 with back-to-back titles and back-to-back seasons. Um, but, yeah. Is, is next year is going to be interesting, especially with what Arkansas has got going on, especially Kentucky's always going to be there. It will be interesting to see what Duke and North Carolina look like next year with new rosters and, in some cases, new coaches and recruiters. So, shout out to everybody involved. It was a hell of a basketball season. But, yeah, it, it, it's, it's been fun. You know, the state of Carolina, on both Carolinas, were heavily represented in this uh championship weekend so you know shout out to men's and women's so any final thoughts gentlemen on this college basketball season now that it's over yeah I won't be surprised remotely if coach K decides to pull a Tom Brady and say my place is on the sidelines and not in the rocking chair of the stands right now I'm going to go ahead and probably say I don't see it happening. Only because the only difference, well, there's a couple of differences. The only difference with Tom Brady is Tom Brady's 44 years old. Coach K been coaching for 44 years. (laughs) You know, he's 75. You know, the game is kind of, no, I'm not going to say it's passed him by, but like he's 75 years old. I don't know if he wants to do this forever. And at this point, the transition had already been made from what I've heard. Like, you know, they've already changed stuff up. The Shire's name is already on the door. Coach K handpicked this dude himself, so I just don't see him upstaging his own guy the way he upstaged Tommy Amaker, but that's a different story. Um, and I just, I just want to ask X yeah. uh, one thing. Uh, X, this isn't, like, the first time that, like, K, well, K talked about retirement. It said if he does uh, pull a little U-turn and says he got to want to come back and coach. At some point, do you think that he's just, like, dragging it out because he keeps saying, oh, y'all just do one more year, one more year, one more year. And as Keyshawn said this morning on uh, KJM, it's kind of like, okay, if I'm a recruit, I'm the, I don't want to go there because I don't know when, it, when he's really going to be done. And let's say I don't be want it done. Well, let's say, you know, I really want to play. How do I know K is going to be there? And he's the one that, you know, let's be honest, if K wasn't at Duke, they wouldn't be getting who they get. So to answer that question, I'll just simply say, if he does decide to come back, despite retirement rumors from before, I believe next season would definitely be it. But I only believe he would come back simply because of how it ended and more specifically because of who it, who it ended against. That's the only reason I'm giving it a shot. Yeah, that is true, I think. That part is something to be considered, but I still, I just, I don't know. It, it would, I guess, at this point, I'm not going to say no to nothing. The time will tell. So, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But, obviously, yeah, you know, 
with the season being over, I just got to say shout out to Don Staley. Shout out to Hubert Davis and his white wife. Never mind, I'm playing. Shout out to Hubert Davis and uh, Don Staley and all that I think that they have done for black coaches this year. You know, the both of them in their own different ways, you know. So, And then obviously Bill Self, shout out to him. Shout out to Kansas. Remy Martin needs an NIL deal. There's no reason that Remy Martin and Remy Martin haven't hooked up. <laughs> you know, that's that's all I got to say on that, though. But, yeah. Hey, guys. It's your boy, Devin Ashby, SKA Play by Play, asking you to like and subscribe, but also to spread the word about my new book, PG vs. MoCo, a memoir of high school football in the shadow of the nation's capital. The state of Maryland has produced some of the top names in college football and the NFL, from private school sensations like Trayvon Diggs and Chase Young to the public schools that are responsible for Joe Hayden, Navarro Bowman, Sean Merriman, Trayvon Diggs, and Jake Funk, to name a few. This book is a collection of interviews and personal accounts from journalists, coaches, fans, and former and current players from public schools in two of Maryland's most prominent counties, Prince George's and Montgomery that aims to tell our story and raise awareness on what's brewing in the area we affectionately call the DMV. I would appreciate it if you all could support by purchasing a copy on Amazon and spreading the word to friends and family. Thank you all for your love and support, and be sure to like and subscribe. We've reached my favorite part of the show. It's a special edition of Big Time Plays of the Day, dedicated to the craziest highlights of the week, to me, the biggest headlines. And obviously, with this Final Four passing, it kind of overshadowed some big things that happened this week. The most notable one is, obviously, Tom Brady is back. But now he's going to have a new head coach because Bruce Arians has decided, shockingly out of nowhere, at least to us on the outside, he has decided to step down from coaching and move over to the front office in Tampa Bay. X, as a resident of Tampa Bay who follows the Bucks very closely, I got to ask you, your thoughts on Bruce Arians and this decision on his part? Well... I cut an entire report for my station in Sarasota where I basically made it seem like this was very shocking that this was happening. Y'all know the entire time I wasn't shocked about anything that happened here with this. I've been the one saying this entire time, Bruce and Tom don't have this chummy relationship that a lot of people think. And honestly, it shouldn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. When you are Bruce Arians, a head coach who is uh, just known to be a good play caller and known to be good with quarterbacks, but you haven't actually won anything by yourself yet, and you come out to the podium and you come out in post-game interviews and you are openly ripping your, at the time, six-time Super Bowl champion, Hall of future Hall of Fame quarterback. You know that didn't land well with Tom Brady and his count. No matter how much of a good space he came out and he put on and he said, Bruce is the coach and I play, we know that that didn't sit well. And once the Bucks won that Super Bowl, 
they wanted based off of doing more of what Tom wanted to do after that bye week in the 2020 season compared to what Bruce was doing. Because what Bruce was doing for the first half of that 2020 season, they were a very up and down, up and flow football team, barely above 500, and we were sitting there questioning, are they even going to make the playoffs? And if they do, how far are they going to go? But it looked like a totally different team after that bye week. And that was more so doing things that we saw that Tom liked to do, especially in New England. What do we see a lot more of? Play action passing. Play action passing. Getting Leonard Fournette involved in things. Getting Sean McCoy involved in things, even though he was on a limited playing time basis. Um, making sure that the focus was more so going towards Mike Evans and uh, AB, Antonio Brown, when he was still on the team. Getting Gronk reinitiated with the offense even more, even though with Gronk, I think it was more so of a conditioning thing. And once he got his conditioning underway, he was ready to go. But either way, it was the TB12 Patriot Way philosophy that ultimately led to them winning that Super Bowl. You fast forward, well, fast forward to 2021, and you see Bruce coming out and doing some of the same thing. Um, ripping Brady and ripping the offense to the media openly in the post-game presser. And once they won that Super Bowl, hey, that was officially over. That was like, okay, my way has been proven that it works here now. So we're not going to deal with this. And we kept hearing reports of, you know, Brady and Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator, who should have gotten the head coaching job in right. Jacksonville, but that is a story for another day. Mm-hmm. We heard well, we're gonna get into that, about but, them coming yeah. up with an offensive plan, and then it would get to Bruce Arians, and he would put his red pen all over it and make the changes that he wanted to make. And also, we've known this about Bruce Arians, too, and I can tell you this just by living in this city. Tampa is a loose culture environment. It is... Colin Cowherd says this on his show all the time, and he can say this because at one point he lived in this city as well. It is Ebor City. It is cocktails at five. It is a party environment. That is 100% true. And that is the type of culture that Bruce Arians was running in Tampa Bay. You can look at that team last season and you can tell they were not all the way dialed in. Devin White did not look like the same Devin White from the 2020 season. Now, Levante David, he was suffering through a couple of injuries this season, but it didn't feel like he had the same impact. That secondary was more loose than they should have been. They were beat up I'm not going to blame that necessarily on Todd Bowles. I'm going to blame that on the approach of Bruce Arians and how he was getting that team prepared. Offensively, at times, they were also looking sloppy. I'm not looking at Tom Brady and Byron Leftwich in that case. I'm looking at Bruce Arians. He is the head coach of the team, or at the time was the head coach of the team. You are the end-all, be-all. It is your word, and what you say is mostly the one that goes. And we saw two different approaches on two things, right, in particular with the Eagles playoff game that the Bucs went on to win. But as the both of you know, the way that the Bucs closed that game out, I said they are in trouble heading into next week's playoff game sure did. because they took their foot off the gas against this team that they shouldn't have taken it off the gas against. And lo and behold, they came out against the Rams and they just looked flat. But we saw at one point a defensive back who made a boneheaded play and we saw Todd Bowles just go over and talk to that young man. Just talk to him to him, hey, you can't do that. What coaches are supposed to do? And then we saw Bruce Arians' approach. 
he thumped the guy in the back of the head. Yeah, Enough I did see said. that. So um, we can uh, listen to all these reports and dress it up. I watched Bruce Arians' press conference last week, but oh yeah, it's all uh, it's all just uh, chitter chat there. Uh, Brady and I have a great relationship. No, Tom came back because in those negotiation meetings, whether Bruce Arians was there or not, Tom Brady was talking with Jason Light, the general manager in the Blazer family, and it was, it's me or it's Bruce. And he ultimately came back, according to a lot of reports, once he knew that Bruce was going to be stepping down. So Tom Brady basically made sure that Bruce Arians got kicked upstairs and he was willing to uh, see, see the job over to Ty Bowles so that Byron Leftwich could remain in the same offense and quarterback room with Because I know a lot of us may be thinking this too. Well, why didn't Byron Leftwich get the job? It's an offensive league. Brady's an offensive quarterback. Byron Leftwich wouldn't be able to sit in the room with Brady nearly as much as he's able to now because he'd have to oversee the whole team. And Ty Bowles is the type of coach who he's going to give that offense over to Brady and Byron Leftwich and let them do the thing. And he's going to focus more on the defense and the defensive personnel guys and just mainly be a quality control guy with the team as a whole. And I believe that's going to work. But all these stories about Bruce Arians willingly stepping down to give Ty Bowles a chance and to take a chance on going to do something else in the front office. No, no, no. I'm here to tell you straight up right now, Bruce Arians got kicked upstairs. That's what happened. All right. All right. You know, y'all heard it here first. He got his ass booted. You know? <laughs> nah, I'm playing. But no, no, for real though. But yeah, no, that that gives me a lot of clarity because I was thinking like, Leftwich is going to get the last laugh because we saw how ugly the whole process went when he was interviewing for the Jacksonville job. And Shad Khan, you know, if we haven't learned enough about him this past week with the shutdown of Black News Channel, we know that he will leave black employees face down on their ass and won't think twice about it. And he did that with Leftwich and then that whole thing fell apart and when this opening came up I'm sitting here thinking well damn there he got the last laugh but obviously Bowles definitely seems to be a more CEO approach for sure so I think it's going to work but I do think yeah I mean this this it was like when I did see him step down I immediately thought of what you had said about you know that they didn't have the best relationship like that, that just this was not this was no coincidence that he just decides to step down maybe a month or two after Tom decides to come back like there you're not going to sit here and just laugh that off like oh yeah this was always the plan no it wasn't no it wasn't but law your thoughts if any on Bruce Arian stepping down um <clears throat> I agree with everything Xavier was saying um, I definitely felt like it was time for him to go. A lot of the things, like, you could tell that there was a clear disconnect between him and Brady. Yep. And let's just be honest, nowadays, teams are going to sign up the quarterback. No matter if it's Tom Brady or if it's Malik Willis coming into the draft, teams are going to sign up the quarterback because they're the most important player. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of like, it wasn't even like little things where it's like, oh, yeah, you really have to know. Arians, you really have to know Tom to, to see that they're beefing. It was little things like Bruce came out and said, I don't want A.B. And then Tom would come out immediately and say, yeah, I do want him. And then we see what the end result is. A.B. gets on the team. Even when they even when they tried to bring him back, it was talks so, yeah, we're not bringing him back. We'll have to see how the money works out. So, 
he's back on the roster. Right. So I felt like there were so many like little things that were just kind of like, yeah, these two obviously work together that for a minute it wasn't real a deal that they were really prepared for the world that yeah, Tom's gonna retire after this year. Bruce, you can stay on. Then once Tom said I'm coming back, is it Bruce? You know the door is my guy. Right, it's it's the upper room though. It's not like they just put him out. But I do think, yeah, Tom, in a sense, this seems to be a very rebellious streak he's on because for twenty years in New England we learned that Bill Belichick treated him as if he was just one of the guys. You know, he ain't have no type of say like you would think a six time champion would. He was effectively made to be treated no different than practice squad players. And now normally we would think that's a good thing, that's how it should be, but in this particular case, it's the NFL. These are grown ass men. It's a little different. It's, it ain't it ain't high school football. It definitely ain't college. You know. And, so. and, and let me add something else to all of this. Yeah. Uh, Robert Kraft made his decision to ultimately go with Bill Belichick simply because Bill Belichick can coach a little longer than Tom Brady can play a little longer. At least we believe that. We believe so. Day. Yeah. But this this evening, and as we approach another morning. The way the Patriots are trending, I'm not so sure he's happy making that decision. That he's happy he went with that decision at all. He said because it locally. I don't know what the hell the Patriots are doing anymore as an organization. Um, Bill Belichick and this Belichickian Patriot way, my way or the highway, it's not working. This is not going to be a playoff team next year unless they hit home runs absolutely in the draft all the way through. Listen to what I'm saying here. I'm going to give you one key example. Stephon Gilmore coming into last year was still viewed as one of the top corners in the league. Why was Bill Belichick so willing to let him go or trade him or just put him out there? Because he had a guy like J.C. Jackson waiting in the wings. That's why he was willing to do that the way he did. And now we get to this offseason and... We don't want to pay J.C. Jackson what he's really worth. And we feel that we can go out and find another J.C. Jackson the way that we found this J.C. Jackson. So we're just going to let him go ahead and make his own decision and he can leave. And now he's headed over to a stacked L.A. Chargers team right now. And I have a theory behind all of this, too. Maybe Bill Belichick ultimately doesn't want to be the head coach of the Patriots anymore. Maybe he's sabotaging it from within. Because we saw Josh McDaniels leave, and Josh McDaniels took a lot of the Patriots coaches and players along with him over to Vegas. And Bill Belichick's name was linked to that Chargers job two years ago. If Brandon Staley doesn't get the job done this upcoming season, and they're healthy for the most part in all the important positions, I wouldn't be surprised if he's put out on his ass, especially with the Rams making the moves that they made and now having a Vince Lombardi trophy to show for it. I'm just saying, don't be surprised if Bill Belichick is possibly the head coach of the Chargers in 2023. Because I don't know what the hell is going on in New England. Uh, Robert Kraft probably is not happy with how some of this stuff is going on in New England right now. We should not have high expectations for Mac Jones coming into next season not having Josh McDaniels. I don't. I ain't have him if he was staying. But, yeah, I mean, to that point, like, it's it's kind of running its course, this whole Patriot Way stuff. Because we've seen it doesn't work when other coaches have tried to replicate it because NFL players ain't going for that. It doesn't work when you don't have a Hall of Famer at quarterback. They've been very pedestrian in the, in the three years or 
Yeah, in the three in the two years since Tom Brady has left, Robert Kraft openly said this year he said it bothered him the way this season ended. When an owner start talking like that, heads are gonna roll, you know. And yeah, like you said, Tom Brady walking out the door. I mean, you know, they, they need. I'm not need, but like. Matt Jones, I just don't think he's it. I, I don't think he's the answer. I don't care what he did as a rookie. I just didn't like him in college. I don't like him now. Like, I, I just think he was a benefactor of a stacked Alabama team in college. And then the other thing is, it's not like New England has Tom Brady. Like, people don't want to play for New England unless Tom Brady is there. So this whole trying to get hit in free agency thing ain't going to work. If you don't have some type of something to lure them over there. Like Tom Brady was the constant factor. Like, oh, you know, people wanted to play there. Whether it was Odell Beckham, you know, you would hear about A.B. when he got there. Julio Jones's name floated around for years. That ain't happening no more if Tom Brady ain't dead. Like Belichick is a Hall of Fame head coach. And I'm not going to take that away from him. You know, he had just as much to do with them Super Bowls as Tom Brady did. But we clearly know... It, it, he's, he's getting up there in age too He ain't a young man no more So it's just some things like he, 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 nah, He's over there running that team Like a baseball team bro. Like you groom these dudes And then when it's time to pay them You just boot them off to the curb Like like this is a baseball team or something Like we, we, we don't run th- That ain't how we run things here <laughs> You know like bro, come on now like, like you said I don't know if he even Really, like, I mean, I don't know what his end goal is at this point anymore. Especially that J.C. Jackson move shocked me more than any of the other moves they made. Because he's not, like, Gilmore kind of was up there in age. He'd had a couple down years in the last two years. It, you, you, From a business standpoint, it kind of made sense. But J.C. Jackson is one of the best corners in the NFL. And he's right in the prime of his career. You do not let a man like that walk out the door. You don't do that. Like, things like that just don't make sense to me. How many other rookie quarterbacks in this last class made the playoffs? The one that just passed? Yes, sir. Uh, two. Okay. And one of them didn't play. Exactly. So, which <laughs> one of them actually played and won his team games and got to the playoffs? In year one. It was Mac Jones. Matt. So, if, if, if you were defending him at college with winning a national championship, which I, I don't know what other higher honor there is, I mean, unless you look at it from an individual standpoint, what the highs did, and that wasn't something to be like, all right, maybe this kid is something, because a lot of the superstar quarterbacks today didn't even win a national championship. Patrick Mahomes couldn't do it. Lamar Jackson couldn't do it. Aaron Rodgers couldn't do it. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, a, a lot of these top dudes, couldn't do what Mac did. Regardless of the system, regardless of who you played with, you still got to make said throws. You still got to keep the ball and score points. If that doesn't do it for you, then being the only quarterback that played for his team in actual meaningful games, that wouldn't, you know, that you believe, like, oh yeah, he could be something? I mean... I mean, he's okay, but like... Me, this the style of quarterbacking that he plays, I feel like is a dying breed in the NFL, and that's where I'm coming from with it. Like, 
I think I really think in today's NFL, if you don't have some sort of mobility, whether it's Lamar Jackson or just running around in circles like Russ or Pat Mahomes being able to throw from awkward angles, it's going to be very difficult to repeat that. Like what hold he on, did. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. But we 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 see Dak run a scramble. It's not like he's a robot. We see him run a scramble. Yeah. And you talking about Russell Wilson? Did Russell make the playoffs this past year? No. So we're so I mean I'm not saying that Russell's never missed it, but he's the quarterback you said that the NFL's moving towards. And he just missed the playoffs, and Matt got in the playoffs being his conventional self. I mean, yeah, we you know, but we saw what happened when he got there. So I mean, it's true, but yet again, he's a rookie. It's only up from here. Like you gotta think, they don't teach these NFL plays in college. Just like you wouldn't learn college algebra in preschool. I mean, you're not, you're not there yet for it. So, I just, I just want to ask that question. And the exit point to like, you don't know if they're doing, I mean, they getting, they getting back some help. They traded for Devontae Parker. Now, granted, like you said, it will matter what they do in this draft. I'm also looking more importantly for next draft because this draft, although I do think there'll, there'll be some ballers late. I think they're going to get a difference maker. So, it, to me, y'all know I am. It's cool to do one thing one year, but it, if you can do that thing again and again and again. So, I'll be looking for, all right, Matt, you had a good first year. That's 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 all right. So, they Baker Mayfield. If it's your second year, when people know, oh, yeah, he likes to throw it shut down, or he doesn't really like to throw it deep, and they start sitting on your strengths and daring you to do your weaknesses, that's when we find out what type of player you are. But I feel like Max gotten off to a, a good start. And if anything, I feel like the way Belichick coaches is more of a dying breed than the way that Mac uh, quarterbacks. Yeah, but, I mean, that, that let is me, let, let, let me just throw this out there. Because I do believe Josh McDaniels and his offensive philosophy had a lot to do with why Matt Jones was able to come in and have success in the early going anyway. And with him not being there, I don't know what to expect. And, you know, you talk about them potentially not being able to get a big-time playmaker in this upcoming draft or focusing towards next year. I don't think that's what Robert Kraft and his team focusing on. That's, that, that's just my thing with that. And Dev already brought this point up. Robert Kraft came out and said that he was not happy with how this season went. And it looks like the team is moving in a more downward direction. The Buffalo Bills are only getting better. The Miami Dolphins added playmakers around Tua, so now it's literally make or break for him. But I already have a theory about that. You you both already know that. As a matter of fact, if you check out the previous episode of the play-by-play analysis, you can hear my theory on that anyway. Right. But... I, I, I don't know what to expect out of Matt Jones simply because Josh McDaniels is not going to be there calling the plays on offense anymore. And, and we've Bill seen Belichick it. has never really been known as an offensive guy. And we've seen it before where second year and third year guys struggle because they don't have a consistent offensive coordinator in their ears. Like when they keep getting rotating doors. Which I don't know if Mac will struggle as much because at Alabama it's like a new coaching staff every year, so maybe that's something he can adjust to a little better. But it's a little bit different in the NFL just because you know, like he said, this division is only getting stronger. 
you would you would expect. Like, I mean, if Tua can't make get it done with with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, then he just ain't him. Which I don't think he him anyway. But to move on because we gotta move on. College basketball, or not college basketball, but just basketball in general has been great recently. You know, obviously, college basketball season is over. You know, um, the NBA playoffs are ramping up. So we're about to see a lot of incredible performances coming up over the next few months. There are a lot of really good players in the NBA today. Some of them would hope to end up in the Hall of Fame one day, like this new class that has been announced, you know. A lot of notable names in this year's Basketball Hall of Fame class. You know, most notably, Manu Ginobili. Many of us grew up watching him. Swin Cash was part of some really good teams at UConn and in the WNBA. And George Carl, for whatever you want to say about him as a person, he was a good coach. You know, so those are the notable names. I'm sure there was a handful of others. But, gentlemen, any uh, people that stood out to you in this Hall of Fame class, if you happen to see it? Yeah, Tim Hardaway Sr. Definitely, definitely. Law, what about you? Uh, Manu Ginobili. Uh, I really felt like he was snubbed from the 75 list. And I'm glad that he at least made like Hall of Fame uh, first ballot. Because I feel like <laughs> when you go through the history of the NBA, Manu has a small part on that. Yeah, the Euro and step for sure. I feel like it's, big, it's a big enough part. To where he's first ballot. We've seen the committee both in NBA and NFL really fight some dudes over this, but I'm glad that Manu got in. I'm glad Swin got in. You know, like first time, like the thing that she's done and continues to do with the Pelicans franchise. I mean, at some point, I'm, I'm glad they're getting to it. You don't need analytical dudes who never played the sport before making these decisions. You need people that have played the sport, lived the sport, mm-hmm. and know what type of hard work and dedication goes into succeeding in this sport, making these decisions. Right. For sure, for sure. You know? This is definitely the case. Definitely the case. But yeah, Manu for sure. I mean, like, you know, I think he definitely popularized the Eurostep. He was part of that, you know, that initial wave of, like, the guys coming in from overseas. He wasn't from Europe. He was from Argentina, so it was a little different. He wasn't in the European game, but... You know, these guys come up that have come over and kind of that it's kind of a popular thing now. But at the time that he was in there, it wasn't quite as popular yet. So, you know, you, you got to show love to Manu and was what was it? Three time, four time champion, something like that. Four time champion. champion. Yeah. So, you know, got to show him some love. Obviously, Tim Duncan's in now. So now Manu's with him. And then, yeah, George Carl getting in. That was interesting. <laughs> you know, um, well, like you said, no matter what you may think about him as a person, uh, no doubt about the fact he is a uh, one hell of a coach. Right. Uh, he had significant winning seasons, especially in the early years. Everywhere he went, even though that a championship was not produced, he took some pretty moribund situations and elevated them into being thriving destinations. Right. Like the Denver Nuggets teams that he had with Melo and. And Kenyon Martin and, and Chauncey Billups a couple of years was in there. And, you know, all that. Like, yeah, he had some good teams, you know. Those just, Sonics teams that he had with Sean uh, Kemp and Gary Payton. Yeah, I Milwaukee forgot about them. Bucks team, a lot of people don't talk about the Milwaukee Bucks teams that he had with uh, Glenn Big Dog Robinson and Sam Purcell and uh, Ray yeah, Allen. Exactly, exactly. Carl's been around for a long time. And I think that 
a lot of the last couple of years were the ones that kind of really made people sour because, you know, he clashed with a lot of players, most notably DeMarcus Cousins, who to this day, I don't know if there's a bigger beef between a head coach and a player than those two. And even Carmelo in the final years in Denver, they didn't really see eye to eye on some things. But like we said, a damn good coach for a number of years went took a couple teams to the finals, most notably that Ray Allen team. You know, so you know, congrats to George Carl, congrats to everybody that made it. You know, shout out to everybody. Now, this past week is a very important week in our history, black history. Um, it's now been 54 years since the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. in Memphis, Tennessee on April 4th, 1968. You know, I talk to my grandparents a lot about where they were those days. If you guys ever kind of had those conversations with y'all's grandparents, you know, if you're if they're with you. Um, grandparents, just older relatives in general, and um, all of them describe it as the same. You never forget where you were once you found out that horrible, heartbreaking news. Right. Yeah, same. Uh, in fact, that's like a... Uh, a fun hobby of mine. I love to be able to connect with older generations and not necessarily talk about something like as this, as traumatizing as this, but like, like what was it like day to day back? I know my, uh, my grandma, she's from like the country and she would tell me stories of like everything that they had. They never went to the grocery store to get it. They always like, if they wanted, they were eating chicken at night, they had chickens in the back. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I love to be able to connect with people like that because it shows, it tells me like not only how far our people have become, but also realizing how much I have to be thankful for today. Right. I, you know, as a writer, I always like talking to people and I recently took it upon myself to make it my duty to tell most notably my grandparents stories just because I have a lot of access to them. Um, my grandfather and me are like super close so like he talks a lot about living in BC in the 60s and going to Howard University because that's where he went to school they they all went there actually and yeah just talking to these older generations because a lot of them unfortunately are at that age where you you don't know how much time you have left with them and as we have seen on a daily basis almost there are a lot of movements in this country to kind of rewrite history. I'll just put it that way. And we can't let that happen. <laughs> like, it, for all of my people out there who are creative individuals, whether you do film, whether you write, whether you take pictures, whatever, don't let y'all's older relatives and them stories, don't let those stories die because nobody's going to be able to tell them like we tell them. You know, that's all I got to say on that. Right, and and I don't really think this younger generation below us, because we were taught a lot about Martin Luther King in school, I don't really know how much they're really being taught about this, but we really owe that man a debt and gratitude in ways we will never be able to pay back. Mm -hmm. All I know is that Martin Luther King was having dogs sicked on him, he was being spit on, he was being slapped in the face. Had the FBI wiretap in his phone. Where he was somewhere marching and a brick smacked him in the back of the head and he just kept walking. Had the FBI wiretapping his phone and harassing his family and shit. Like, this is crazy. I was actually like in Atlanta this past week for my birthday, so I got to go to 
the you know the King Museum. I saw his house where he was born. I saw the tomb where him and his wife Coretta Scott King are now. You know, I saw Ebenezer AME where he used to preach. So like you know, it, just seeing that stuff up close was like really just different. And to your point, these kids now, first of all, even what we were taught ain't enough. Like we no. have been fed some lies and some distorted truths about who Martin Luther King was as a person. Like, this idea that he was this docile Negro who just didn't fight back. Like, that's not entirely the thing. Like, he was a radical, you know, person. He, he you know, he was against, you know, poverty. The war on poverty was, like, one of his final projects before he was assassinated, obviously. He, you know, th there's just a lot of things about him that get kind of lost in translation and it's just not becoming and then also I think a lot of us have learned about like you know Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, you know Harriet Tubman, Rosa Parks like the kind of the big ones but they're way like like Lawrence was saying there are way too many just common stories that don't get told like hey what was it like just living you know like what was it like on a day-to-day -day basis living in wherever like and for some of us we have grandparents from the south some of us have grandparents from the north like just it's different perspectives of how these different things happen so definitely like my grandmother was telling me about how she went to desegregated schools you know with with jewish kids and things like that and that wasn't super common you know a lot of that stuff like this just these are the stories you gotta tell because nobody else is gonna tell them if, if we know Right, and to your point about the history of Martin Luther King, we aren't being taught. When you're in grade school, th this is why it's very important. And I know that the three of us can appreciate what I'm about to say. Mm -hmm. Being two graduates of an HBCU and a future graduate of an HBCU, it is important that we continue to uphold and invest in our in, in our universities and our alma maters to keep them upstanding exactly. so that we can be taught the proper history that needs to be taught with this. Because it's cute when everybody wants to just make it Oh, Martin Luther King in the great I Have a Dream speech. Well, nobody talks about the letter from the Birmingham jail. Nobody talks about that uh, last uh, mountaintop speech. I've been that to the mountaintop. Um, everyone loves to talk about how Martin Luther King always used to say violence is not the answer and leave it at that. Nobody likes to talk about the fact that he also said riots are the language of those that are unheard. Mm -hmm. And people want to talk about, oh, he believed in. You know, uniting of the races. You know, he also was an anti-capitalist. He didn't believe in, you know, people, millionaires and billionaires just hoarding all this money while the rest of us get the table scraps. You know, like th those are some of the things. There's the talk about the burning building, the whole thing about he feels like he led his people into a burning building. You know, in terms of segregate or of uh, integration and stuff like there, there's a lot that is conveniently left out. And the other thing that I'm tired of, everybody from the FBI who killed him to a lot of these politicians that don't even follow his stuff and that are trying to, at this point, effectively get him out of their schools, stop saying he died for your interracial relationships. Stop saying Happy Martin Luther King Day if you are a racist. And the FBI just needs to shut the hell up altogether. That's just me. Now, hopefully they don't cancel this. But still, <laughs> you know, that's where, where I'm at with it. But to move on to a little more lighthearted stuff, 
you played yourself dedicated to the people who like the FBI should shut the hell up and sit down you know and who probably should have sat down and ate their food in general my first you played yourself goes to Eric Church the country singer who canceled his concert in order to watch North Carolina play imagine you didn't get to go to that concert that was the only time you could get off it just all sucks to be a fan of Eric Church at this moment it does and what I don't understand about that whole scenario is why couldn't you also host a watch party with the fans and then have a concert afterwards or maybe even before I I don't understand that part I kind of get. College basketball, college sports in general are almost cult-like. There are some things you got to be locked in for. But to your point, he, he could have at least had a watch party. Uh, I've never listened to the radio. It was David Salatoy. It was sort of like, bro, some of these things you just have to know. And I don't know, like, they're saying, I don't know if it's his fault or if it's his, like, manager's fault. But if you're such a big Tar Heel fan, as soon as March hit, you should know the day of the championship and in case they do make it, you shouldn't even have a concert on that. Like, it shouldn't even be on the schedule for that time. Right. That, and so... That's where I was that at. That was pretty, like, poor. And that's why I was like, man, like, that's kind of messed up as an artist. Because it's like, oh, yeah, like, he wants to do he wants to do But like you said, what about the people who had to save their time off to attend this concert? What about the people who literally booked a babysitter for this time and now you're canceling because you want to see North Carolina like I don't know that's pretty um, selfish to me but the watch quality idea I, I understand it and it's not like it's a bad idea I can only imagine how hard it would be to find some of that stuff they would have needed to pull that off day of the concert yeah, that's and true. go do sound check and all that kind of stuff be like make this work on your first try or else at least for the time being it was worth it to see Duke beat or to see uh north carolina beat dude obviously so it, it was worth it at the time but like yeah it's it just unfortunate for the fans to to and hopefully they got refunds i'm pretty sure they did you know but to a more serious incident um for those who are not aware if you've been living under a rock for the last couple of months the country of Ukraine in, in Eastern Europe is being just really rattled by an invasion from Russia. And it's kind of been dominating the news, especially like foreign policy stuff. Now, naturally, this invasion and this war or whatever situation is going on has created somewhat of a refugee crisis that we haven't seen in Europe since World War II. And there are a lot of Ukrainians that are fleeing for those who aren't staying to fight. So that being said, we've seen a lot of videos of incidents of racism against Africans who live in Ukraine. And now the Peace Corps is warning black folks who decide to help them that there is a chance that you could be called a nigger if you try to go help these Ukrainians. And I just have to ask, why? Like, what the hell for? You know, that, that's where I'm at with that. I'm like, bro, why must, in your darkest hour, you still got time to be racist? I would like to uh, open on this if I, if I could. I just feel like this, along with so many other examples, shows that 
this world literally cannot like exist on a day-to-day basis if it wasn't for black people in every in every way uh, you can imagine and it's like for this Ukraine thing or even a few years ago with the Asian Americans who were getting killed everybody went, went when disaster hits, the world calls on black people, the black community, to hey, we need y'all help. Hey, can y'all can y'all come on uh, put up donations, be charitable, all that kind of stuff. But when it's us who needs help, everybody's like, damn, I don't have a dollar today. I can I get you tomorrow? But it's like, with the shoes on the other foot, y'all want us to help. Y'all want us to drop everything and come help. So I feel like this is just another example of the same thing being repeated over and over and over. Although we're getting people, more minorities in the higher up spaces, we're not high enough. And we need to continue to climb, continue to strive until we see actual change. And for me, just to add on to that, it's also another key example of that as as black people we need to unify instead of divide because we don't have any true friends we don't have any true allies we are truly all we have right because i'm still watching this whole ukrainian thing and obviously i'm against war and invasion of any type obviously like i i I don't condone anything russia is doing and i'm totally here feeling for the people who are going through this but at the same time the United States of America is totally cool with allowing Ukrainian refugees and, you know, I'm seeing all these movements, hey, you know, pray for Ukraine, we're raising money for Ukraine, you know, all this stuff, which is great, you know, obviously. But when Syria was getting jacked up, when Palestinians are constantly getting fucked up by Israelis, when Somalia is just getting hit with airstrike after airstrike. When the Taliban retook over Afghanistan, every time black and brown people's countries get bombed, civil wars are happening, then all of a sudden, oh, it's not enough room for them. We don't want all these people coming in. Like, you know, like there's no pray for Afghanistan. There's no pray for Somalia. Like, why, why are we not supposed to pray for them too? You know? Like, there was, the people were saying the quiet part out loud when they were talking about, you. they're like, oh, you know, these people are just like us, you know, they have Netflix accounts, they, they're, you know, like, this isn't, like, this is, this isn't a place you would expect the war to be somewhere like in Afghanistan, and like, I'm like seeing these news people like just openly being xenophobic and racist on air, and I'm just like, Y'all saying the quiet part out loud, but it, that 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 shit just doesn't sit right with me. Just the way the reaction to what's going on in Ukraine versus what what happens almost on a daily basis in some of these countries in Africa and the Middle East. I just I, I can't I can't that don't sit right with me, you know. And then black people even in this country, you know, like we've we've been the stuff we deal with on a regular too. So it it just it's all. A mess, obviously, and my heart go out to any black folks that join the Peace Corps and do have to deal with racial slurs or anything if they try to help them people, because, yeah. 
we definitely are a very giving people. We we give a lot of ourselves, especially when people take so much. It's just you know it is what it is though. But moving on to from that to you know there's still a lot of good in the world. You know there's a lot of good things going on out here. So we're gonna talk and shine a light on those things, and we're gonna go to a segment I like to call Well Played, which is dedicated to all of those feel-good stories that you like to see and the things you like to see. And Malcolm Jenkins, you know, longtime safety in the league. He played for the Saints initially, then he played for Philly, and then he came back to New Orleans when he ended his career. He is now retiring. You know, he's a two-time champion. He's, I think he, he's been to a couple of Pro Bowls. You know, he was most notably a member of his two Super Bowls were both historic. Like to win it in 09 with the Saints coming back from everything that happened in that city. And then to deliver Philly a Super Bowl during one of the more memorable runs, you know, considering just everything that the team was doing with social justice and, you know, all the things that they were doing off the field that year. You know, a very good player, an even better community man, individual. You guys' thoughts on Malcolm Jenkins and his career in totality? Uh, a great career for Malcolm Jenkins in the NFL, uh, one that many can only dream of. I'm going to remember him as much for his play on the field as his work as a civil rights and social justice warrior off the field. Definitely, definitely. And then... Law, any thoughts on Malcolm Jenkins? Uh, he had a hell of a career. Like X said, he was just as active off the field as he was on the field. And I feel like, um, you know, he was just a, just a good overall man. You know, you never really heard too many bad things, if any bad things, come out about him. He was really a leader among leaders on that New Orleans State defense for so many years. Even when they weren't as competitive as winning the Lombardi Trophy, he still went out and played every game as if he would have been his last. And he felt he found himself on a lot of good teams. Like he very rarely was on any bad teams. Like there's a lot of players like that that just find their way around the league and just happen to be on everywhere they go. The success follows, and he just was one of those guys. Like I don't rare I don't remember too many teams he was on that were like flat out awful like there were some years that weren't as good as other years but there was never a team that was just awful he was always on good teams and he had a lot to do with that as a, as the leader he was on and off the field but speaking of an incredible talent we obviously a man that will be in the hall of fame someday is chris paul and you know he's having an incredible season on the in the on the court. Phoenix has just had an incredible run this year, and a lot of people have picked them to come out of the Western Conference for obvious reasons, considering they did last year and weren't nearly as good as they are this year. Oh well, not not like that, but you know they were they were pretty good last year, but they weren't. It's not quite at the same level. But with that being said, he is another one who has done a lot of work off of the the court. You know, in his community. But he's done a lot to shine light on the WNBA and women's basketball. But he's also, you know, done a lot of work to shine light on HBCUs. And now he's been named, him and Taraji P. Henson have been named to 
uh, Biden's HBCU board. So as HBCU grads, you guys have any thoughts on it? Law, you want to go ahead and take this first? Yeah, uh, I would just say that I love that it's like a good feel good story. But at this point, like, bro, show me action, bro. So I felt like, don't just put whoever on there. Like, granted, like you said, like, Chris and Taraji, they do great stuff. They do it. But I feel like that's just like the community, bro. We're past the point of the, like, oh, wow, you put so-and-so on the committee, so I know they're going to get work done. Like, no, bro, just right. show me the work and then come out and announce. Like, it would have been way cooler to announce it after y'all pass some groundbreaking thing to help HBCU's life. Hey, we just did this work, by the way. It was spearheaded by Taraji and Chris. It, like, but I feel like that's just how the world thinks, where it's like, if we put no celebrities or no names on a case or on a uh, on a board, people are going to, like, give us that trust factor, that benefit of the doubt, because we, quote-unquote, went into their neighborhood and got one of their own. It's like, man, just show me, just show me, just like... Uh, we keep asking for them to cancel student debt. He doing everything else in the world but canceling student debt. You keep pushing but it he back. Has no problems pushing it back, pushing it back, pushing right. it back. It's like, bro, just show me, dog. Like, if we've been without student debt for this long, they you go ahead and cancel it. Right, right. Um, my thoughts on this are very similar. I'm just gonna flat out say it. I view this as another symbol. Right. That's what I view this as, as a symbol. Chris Paul and Taraji B. Henson, yes, they have been great advocates for HBCUs. Even though Chris Paul is not an HBCU advocate, is not an HBCU graduate, I should say, he's still been a great advocate for HBCUs. But on the part of the uh, White House and the Biden administration, this is another summer. Yeah. And um, black people continue to fall for the summers. Let's just be honest about it. Um, a lot of people fell in love with uh, the first lady, Kamala Harris, when they saw her out on the campaign trail dancing and Mary J. Blige and wearing chucks. Um, a lot of people fell in love with Hillary Clinton when she had hot sauce in her bag. Like all of these symbols. But like Boss said, we need some actual action. Right. We need some urgency. We need some things that are actually going to help HBCUs. For example, let's get the funding back in HBCUs that was cut away from. Right. Then we can have a conversation about the people that you're putting on advisory boards. Right. And so we see some action. We need to stop getting excited about symbols. Got you, got you. And Paul, at least when it comes to sports, he's doing his part on that part. But he, like you said, we do need action. But we are going to wrap this episode up. You know, um, didn't have any games to play today so this here is the end of another episode so i want to shout you guys out you know for for being a part of this thing shout out to y'all as always shout out to you bro and the great things that you're doing here on this platform and away from it as well yeah bro shout out to you bro anytime you call bro i'll be there got you got you uh shout out to lawrence as well and lawrence just recently launched his own podcast laws list uh, he's got some great information over there. Uh, different platforms from most, actually. Uh, he has some information about the NFL draft and his outlook on things in a way that only true NFL insiders would be looking at it. Right, right. Y'all be sure to check that out. Laws List. It's on all. It's Laws List, right? Laws List. Yeah, yeah all, that's it. Laws List. Got you, got you. All streaming platforms: Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever get yours at. 
And I'm gonna be on an episode soon. So y'all y'all look out for that one. Um but yeah, this here been the play by play analysis podcast. I'm Devin Ashby, SK Play by Play. If you know, you know. If you don't know, don't worry about it. We gotta get up out of here. Everybody got work and school and class and everything. So we will see y'all when we see y'all. Deuces.